on tonight. <clears throat> we have uh, talked about some of the uh, different choices that uh, they've made and the result of those choices. We talked about the resolve of Ruth last message. And tonight we're looking at the return to Bethlehem. Ruth, Ruth's resolve to stay with Naomi uh, resulted in her coming back with her to Bethlehem. Now, no details are in Scripture of the traveling from Moab to Bethlehem. It just jumps from there in Moab here, having that conversation, and then the next thing we see there in Bethlehem. The fact that not much is mentioned about the trip kind of demonstrates a truth in our Christian life that we need to be aware of and we need to be willing in. A lot of God's will is made up of just the ordinary. The daily grind, you could call it. Uh, the mundane. One a preacher told me this, uh, one of my professors in Bible college said that 90% of ministry is just mundane. It's uh, things that's not enjoyable always, it just needs to be done. And uh, so we need to be faithful in those areas. This trip was simply a step-by-step, day-by-day walk, nothing special happening. But they're not going to get to where they need to be from where they shouldn't be if they don't be faithful in between. In our Christian life, we've got to be faithful in those areas. And lots of people are willing to be uh, faithful in the exciting. And, you know, they'll be there in VBS. They'll be there in uh, these special days or like that. But then we have a lot of Wednesday nights like uh, June the 9th where there's nothing big special going on, but you're here. We need to be faithful, amen? So let's just be faithful, even if it's nothing, uh, if it seems mundane. Uh, the ordinary should never be disparaged. The mundane should never be neglected. Uh, they are the key to achievement and accomplishment in life. If you're not faithful in the ordinary, you're not going to be faithful in the great. Jesus said that in Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And so Naomi and Ruth are going to find, as, as we continue through this book, they're going to find great blessing, but to get to the great blessing, they had to endure a long step-by-step walk from Moab. And uh, I just say that to encourage us to be faithful in our day-to-day, ordinary Christian lives. Uh, as mentioned, uh, they're given a gospel tract to a waitress, or, you know, just uh, as we're going about our daily duties, to not forget we're surrounded by people. I try to think of this as often as I can. I, ha- I don't even want to say every day because I don't every day like I should. But we have to think of this uh, constantly. Every single person we meet is going to spend eternity somewhere. And if we can have a part in that decision, we can have a part in making that uh, an impact in them positively, let's do it. Let's read Ruth chapter 1 verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem and they... It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Don't you love encouraging people like that? Hey, are you Naomi? Uh, Call me Naomi, call me bitter. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray you be with us the rest of these few minutes we have together. Be with the young people as they're being taught and the teens and the 
youth group as well. And we're thankful for all of that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The, you see the sincerity here of Naomi's, or of, Beth, of Ruth's, I'm sorry, resolve. She had said, whither thou goest, I will go. Chapter 1, verse 16. Now, as I said last time we were talking about that, that was, that's, that's a beautiful speech that Ruth made to Naomi. It's talked about, there's songs made about it. Uh, people even sing a song at weddings uh, that, that talk about this commitment that she made. And uh, as beautiful as it was, though, it was just words. And you know what's much more important is the action that follows the words. Uh, that's, that's really what matters. Uh, people say all kinds of things. I can't tell you how many times throughout even most, most every week. Pastor Forsberg will tell you too. I'll be in church Sunday. And uh, we don't want to be pessimists, but a lot of times you automatically think, yeah, that's what I heard last time I saw you. And uh, a lot of people say things. And I talked to a guy today. I ran into a guy who hasn't been here and used to come spottily years ago and hasn't been here in a while. And uh, I told him, you know, it gets really old uh, for years saving a seat for you every Sunday and you just don't show up. And, oh, I'll come back. I'm going to come back. And so uh, saying something's good and always, amen, praise the Lord. Doing it's a whole nother deal, isn't it? We need to be faithful in doing it. And so great intentions are fine. But more important is the corresponding conduct to that intention. We live in a time today when the emphasis is on making impressive statements, not living sincere lives. A lot of people say a lot of wonderful things, but their conduct does not match their conversation. Uh, I don't think I need to go any further than a politician to tell you. They, they represent that very well. Uh, say one thing and do another. But the problem is a lot of church members do this as well. Christians often make great statements of faith or intention and then do not live it out. Let me give you probably the most common one out of all of us. This is going to be convicting. I know because it was super convicting to me. I'll pray for you. You ever said that to somebody? You ever said that to somebody and then not prayed for them? I think we're all guilty of that. I'll be praying for you. I'm actually very careful now as... To not not that I don't want to say it to people, but but I don't want to say it and not do it. You know, I, I heard the humorous example of a guy in church and he sees somebody approaching him and this is what he thinks in his mind. He says, oh no, there's Bob. I told him I'd be praying for him. Dear God, bless Bob. Hey, Bob, I've been praying for you. Uh, that's sometimes how we, and that's not what we promise to do, amen. We are asking, uh, we're saying we're praying for somebody, so let's just live what we say. If we... Say a certain thing, let's do it. Valiant words are not evidence of faith. Godly living is evidence of faith. And so words uh, are not enough. I like that she said, whither thou goest, I will go. And guess what she did? Where she went, she went. Just like she said she would. Praise the Lord for that. And then uh, Naomi and Ruth traveled together to Bethlehem. Uh, and they traveled together. They were in agreement. The prophet Amos said, can two walk together? Let's they be agreed. They were their interests, their goals, their objectives were the same. Uh, they, they agreed on the destination. If they wouldn't, they wouldn't have traveled together. And therefore, they had that fellowship. I just want to put this in there that uh, if you want fellowship with others, if you want sweet fellowship with our church family, we need to have the same goals, same objectives. Uh, when there is conflict, <coughs> excuse me, rather than peace in the church, that is because people in the church want different things. And of course, we all do to some 
uh, respect, but we ought to have a common mission, common vision in our church. And so that would be fellowship. I think of the book of Acts. We've been going through on Sunday nights, the book of Acts, and I love studying that book. But think about the early church in Acts. In Acts 1.14, these all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2.1, and they were one accord in one place. Acts 2.46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Acts 4.24, and they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Is there any surprise then, the impact that that church had? If the church, if the folks in the church love one another, they love the lost people around them in the community, uh, you can't help but make an impact. By this shall all men know you my disciples, if you have love for one another. So they they too went until they came to Bethlehem. Another, I know I'm nitpicking a couple little things here, but uh, another word I like here is the until. Uh, Naomi and Ruth did not quit before they reached their destination. After they crossed the Jordan River, it might have been tempting for them to stay in the Jordan Plains rather than to climb the 2,000 feet up the hills to, to Bethlehem. But they did not give up because they had in their heart an until. They kept going until they came to Bethlehem. Uh, without this until in their life, there would have been no Boaz. There would have been no Obed uh, in Ruth's life. Uh, you will never accomplish much in life until you have a committed until in your life. I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to keep at it until. If there's not persistence in per your pursuit, there will not be productiveness in your pursuit. How's that for alliteration there, preacher? Uh, Apostle Paul tells us not to be weary in well-doing. Uh, tells us to, basically telling us to have an until in our life. Now, when they showed up in Bethlehem, the Bible says here that they made a commotion. Bethlehem was a small town. It caused people to be, as it, the Bible says, verse 19, moved about them. Uh, the Hebrew word moved is a strong word. Uh, the original word means uh, uh, strong Facebook posts. That's what the original word means. So when they were moved, uh, that's not for real. It just means it caused a great stir. It means that they would talk. They would put it on their social media. It would mean they would be talking about it. It means that she was the topic of conversation. Uh, it means that uh, if there was a newspaper, it was written about. The whole city was talking about it. Now, that's why in chapter 2, verse 11, when Boaz came to her, you remember what he said to her? It hath been fully showed me. So he had heard all about her because the whole town's talking about them coming back. Uh, the word all here, when it says all the city was moved about them, not just her family, the whole city, it tells us here you cannot conceal the effect of sin on your life. The scars will show. The losses will be known as they were here in Naomi's life. They said in verse 19, is this Naomi? They were confused when they saw Naomi coming into town. Uh, they would be a, a, a confused by her uh, appearance and by her associate. Her appearance, uh, the, the appearance of poverty and stress of wrongdoing was evident in her life. Uh, it had been, remember, if she, when she left, she'd been well-to-do. She'd been respected, member of society. And now uh, she was in dire want. Remember the prodigal in Luke 15? Same thing. He went away wealthy, bag full of money, nice clothes, came back in tatters, smelling like hogs, had nothing. That's what sin does to us. When we, when we swap uh, being in the will of God 
to backslide and be out of the will of God and go into sin, it will always leave us destroyed. It's always going to take everything from us. It promises so much, but all it brings is devastation. The scars of sin often mask the true identity of the sinning person. It changes you. And so they said, is this Naomi? Also her associate, they would be uh, confused by who was with her. Now, uh, this stranger, where was Elimelech? Where was Malon? Where was Chilean? Why weren't they with her? Well, finding out they had died, and now here she comes back with this Moabitess. Now, of course, Ruth's good character soon won her acceptance, but at first it probably would have bothered them. And this happens in because of sin, too. Our, uh, how much do we lose when we go to sin? Lose our families, uh, lose our good friends, and make rotten friends and get different acquaintances. And uh, so sin will just cause so much damage. But I want to kind of focus, we just have a couple minutes left here, but I want to focus here at Naomi's response, her attitude. Naomi had a terrible attitude uh, here. Now it gets better. Uh, she's just a real downer. Naomi's uh, nickname could be Debbie Downer. That's the kind of life she led here. So it wasn't a good example, by the way, to this new Christian Ruth. For her to act like she did, but she did that. It's interesting and awesome that Ruth's faith grew despite Naomi's complaining bad attitude. Because if we're going to grow in, in Christ, we're going to have to do it amidst a lot of complainers. And no matter where we are, we're always going to have those people around us. Just complainers, negative Nancys, and uh, they're, they're always make a bad example, always pull down uh, those around them. Uh, somebody said it this way, you'll find that they which complain about which way the ball dropped are usually the ones who dropped it. That's what happened to Naomi. She's the one who laughed, all right? Uh, but she's just negative here. And it's interesting how the new convert helps the old convert to kind of revive her faith in the next uh, few verses and chapters here. Uh, it often happens that way. I love being around young Christians. I love being around people who are who, who still haven't been in church long enough to get crusty, you know, haven't been in church long enough to get negative, and they're just excited about God working in their life. And they're usually rough as corn cobs. They don't know the, the the proper way to do everything, and they don't know how to talk. But they're just excited about the Lord, and uh, that that's what we need. I think every church needs new Christians in it. But her complaining here was fourfold. She was bitter. Look at verse twenty. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. The Almighty hath very bitterly with me. This is not a good attitude for her to have. What can you expect, though, after ten years outside the will of God? Disobedience does not make your speech sweet. It makes it sour. Disobedience does not make your speech better. It makes it bitter. That's the attitude we'll have if we live in disobedience. Naomi's bitter comments here caused a change of name. Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. She didn't want to be associated with pleasant anymore because she thought nothing pleasant about my life and so I want to be called bitter. And there's a play on words here. Uh, Naomi accused God of dealing bitterly with her so she wants to be called bitter, Mara. The word bitterly in verse 20, is the same word translated grieveth in chapter 1, verse 13. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. 
So bitterness had already set itself or been growing in her heart while she was in Moab. Bitterness seemed, I guess, is kept growing since she's coming back to Bethlehem and still there when she gets back. By the way, bitterness will do exactly that. It's like yeast. <laughs> you ever seen, my wife makes a lot of bread, praise the Lord. And uh, when you put the yeast in and, and it just starts small and then it'll start to raise up like it's got some kind of alien in it. And uh, that's that's what bitterness is doing inside us. It'll just grow and grow. If we don't stop it, if we don't get it right with God, uh, you know, if we don't uh, take care of that in our lives, it'll just grow and grow and grow till it consumes us. And, and, and again, it's not surprising because the place of disobedience will always embitter the disobedient. I've got a, as most of you know, we were dealing with one of our own family, one of our own children that's in disobedience to God right now. And that's what's happening in our life is bitterness is set. It's just, it's almost shocking sometimes how miserable and nasty and bitter a person can become. That's what happens when you're disobedient. You don't get sweet when you're disobedient. You get bitter. And so Naomi here, now praise the Lord, Naomi did come to the place where bitterness could be removed. She went to the right place and it'll happen as we go along. Now, not only was it a change of name, but a charge against God. Look at what she said. The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi accused God of making her bitter. Now, how unfair is this? Uh, this starting all the way back with Adam, though, that's how we have dealt with our sin. Remember Adam? It was the woman you've given me. Uh, what did the woman say? It was the snake. We just, we like to, to shift blame, don't we? It's so easy to make it somebody else's fault, and uh, just to blame someone else. Blame is is one of an is like our automatic reaction, and it's we we can't live our life like that. Hey, if you drink whiskey and your liver liver ruins, that's not God that does it. It's you. I mean, we got to accept our sin. We got to own up to our problems. You are often most of our suffering. I think. Much, maybe I shouldn't say more, much of our suffering comes because of her own folly. What happened so with Naomi? It was Naomi and her family that went out against God's will to Moab. It produced bitterness, and now she blames God for it. Let's never do that in our Christian life. Uh, but bitter was her problem. Then secondly, bankrupt. Verse 21, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. And she was right when she said she was empty. She was empty in respect to her family. Her husband and two sons had died in Moab. Going to Moab was sin. We've already established that. And sin empties us often of our family. Divorce, families falling apart, broken marriages. Uh, these are the type of things that often are the results of sin. Uh, sin is not for the family. Sin is always against the family. Sin destroys families. And we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in it. She was empty in respect to her, uh, her fortune. Naomi said she left the land of Bethlehem full. But like the prodigal son, Naomi's family spent all, you could say. Luke 15, 14 talks about the prodigal son spending all that he had. Well, they lost it all too. When we live in sin, Moab, as they were here, our fortunes will be gone. You know, sin empties the pocketbook as well. Sin, sin just robs us of everything. Sin robs us of all good things. It, it's, <coughs> I mentioned Sunday, we were talking about, uh, maybe it was in discipleship, we are talking about why God hates sin. The reason God hates sin is because of what it does to his children. 
And I remember a few years ago, I still have it somewhere, but I, I wrote a, an article. Sometimes I did that just to process thoughts and stuff. But I was so upset. There were some things going on in my youth group, and it was while I was still a youth pastor. And I wrote an article of why I hate the devil. And I just saw the things that some of the young people were getting caught up in. And now I'm 10 years removed from it. And I can see the result of some of those things. And just how sin destroys. It just destroys lives. And when they go down that path, because they think it looks good, it sounds good, it feels good, I'm going to do it, I'll be okay, I'm different, all those lies Satan gives us, and it just destroys lives. And I hate the devil for it. She was empty in respect to her faith. The people of Bethlehem could see this as soon as she opened her mouth. Full of bitter speech. Empty of faith is the worst emptiness of all. Now, we cannot lose our salvation by backsliding, but we can lose our spiritual power, our joy, and our peace. By the way, can I tell you who the most miserable person on the face of this earth is? Is not a lost person, a saved person out of the will of God. That's a miserable person. What does obedience give us? Well, Acts again, if we go to the Acts, we find uh, Acts 6.3, we're full of wisdom because of obedience. Acts 6.5, full of faith. Acts 9.36, full of good works. But she was none of these, she was bankrupt. And then, again, blamed. She blamed. How interesting it is how folks don't own up. They don't... uh, they always put it on someone. We, and we live in a generation like that. No one wants to be responsible for their own choices. I mean, even if they take out big loans to go to school, they want you to pay for the loan. I mean, they took it out. But now you, you, we have to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to, to focus uh, on any of their uh, responsibility. But here she says, I went out full, verse 21. Now, here, here's what's interesting. Don't miss this. She gives credit to herself for her fullness. Before, it was I who went out full. I went out full. God made me empty. See that? The Lord hath brought me home again empty. Did you catch that? That is, the, that is just, that's pretty rotten right there. I went out full. I was just fine till God made me empty. And that's the attitude we have sometimes. Listen, God didn't empty you. It was a choice that you made. The fault lies with the I, not with God. And yet, how many times do we live like this? Verse 21, she goes even further. The Lord hath testified against me. Here's another criticizing comment about God. She felt the sting of conviction, but was not repentant. Rather than repenting, she blamed God for her troubles. Now, the fault lies totally with the sinner, never with God. Sometimes we will reap what we sow, but it's because we sowed it. It's not because of it's God's problem. It's one thing I like about the story of the prodigal son. When he came to himself, he didn't blame anybody but himself. He was ready to put himself at the lowest he could imagine, being a servant in the home that he once owned a part of. And so now he, he, he didn't blame God. He didn't blame his father. It's just what he did. Well, here she is, and she's not... Uh, she is not having the same attitude that she should have. And then broken. She's uh, bitter, bankrupt, she blamed, and she's broken. The Almighty hath afflicted me. The word translated afflicted here means to break in pieces. In Naomi's case, it speaks of affliction, of hurt, and of chastisement. 
God broke up her home and broke her will to get her back to Bethlehem, but she had a terrible attitude about her chastisement. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 5, Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Sometimes God's got to break us. Sometimes he has to break us before he can use us. You see this all throughout the Bible. The pitchers had to be broken by Gideon's army before they could be used in battle. Uh, a roof of, of the house, Peter's house, had to be broken for a man to be lowered down to Jesus and to be healed. The loaves and fishes, the Bible says he broke the bread before it could feed thousands. The alabaster box had to be broken before it could honor the Lord Jesus Christ in that gift. And the greatest thing in all the world that was ever broken is found in 1 Corinthians 11.24. This is my body which is broken for you. Sometimes he has to break us too. Sometimes we have to come to the point where we recognize that power that lies in helplessness. We can't help ourselves and so we finally give ourselves uh, over to the Lord and let him... uh, to uh, be that power in us. They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Verse 22, this tells us the time of the year. April is when the barley ripened in Israel. It tells us uh, here, Naomi told, had been told here, the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Verse Chapter 1, verse 6, and when she came inside of Bethlehem, she could see the evidence of it. Harvest time is a joyous time. In the Bible, harvest time is a picture of joy. Isaiah 9, 3, the joy before thee according to the joy of harvest. Naomi found sorrow in Moab, but she'll find joy in Bethlehem. Moab offered some pleasures at first. Oh, they probably had, uh, well, they had plenty when Bethlehem was facing a famine, and they uh, they, they had some relief, they thought. But at the end, they found that this kind of joy is only for a season. Moses knew that. Hebrews chapter 11. Disobedience always brings sorrow. Obedience brings joy. Unknown to Naomi and Ruth, this harvest is going to be very productive for them. It will bring bring Ruth into contact with Boaz, and we're going to see how God uses all this. But but the challenge tonight is just in how do we respond to the Lord's chastisement? I I always kind of, in reading the book of Ruth, it's nice to start in chapter 2, isn't it? (laughs) Chapter 1 is a little depressing, especially with her attitude. And a lot of bads happen. You can't, you can understand it. I mean, we probably, it's easy to beat up on Naomi, but there's a lot of bads happened to her. She, a lot of heartache has happened to her. She lost her husband, then she lost her son, then she lost her other son. She's alone in her immediate family, all alone. And, and it's no excuse for the attitude, but we can understand it. How do we respond? It's a big difference between how Job responded Naked I came out of my mother's womb, naked I will return, blessed be the name of the Lord. And how Naomi responded here. How do we respond when the going gets tough? What we cannot allow to happen is bitterness. We cannot allow that to take over because there is no greater misery than a bitter person. Somebody said bitterness is like drinking poison to hurt someone else. You're the one who's going to hurt. And uh, don't allow that bitterness to overtake. Uh, the Bible tells us that we need to be careful lest the root of bitterness spring up in you. I, I think we take from that passage that we all got it. We've all got the root. I think every one of us have the potential for bitterness. We just can't let it spring up. So we need to be careful in that area. Father, thank you for.